Good morning, church. It's actually such a treat for me personally to have the two of them up. Um, when we first asked Nikki, we, we, when Chris first saw the idea to then Nikki said, uh, he didn't want to say no to us, so he said, if I'll do it, if Rachel does it. And then, so we asked Rachel, and initially she's like, uh, uh, uh. But then on Sunday, she lost her car keys. And we couldn't find it. $160 to replace. And we couldn't find it for two days. I messaged people around, and no one has seen it. Um, and then, so, but I was relentless. After two days, I looked at every nook and corner, and I found it. And I found it, and I go, Rachel, I found your car key, so now you have to chair. And then she's like, oh, okay. So then I went to tell Nikki, and then we said, hey, Rachel said yes. And Nikki's like, what? She sold us out. See, <laughs> relational so parenting. <laughs> um, it has been a big weekend for us, but... Uh, Nikki and I, we were in Sydney over the weekend, so um, if we, both of us looked a little bit out of it, please forgive us. I don't know why he's so tired. He was, um, he was competing, but I was like cheering so hard and so tense after the, his competition, like my whole upper back was just so stiff. But I don't know why he's so out of yes, it. He only clearly, for 10 hours. <laughs> clearly the tough part about our son fencing is the mum's journey. <laughs> Okay, we're going to open in prayer. Uh, this is the start of our Generations uh, series. And um, our hope is that you'll get an inside glimpse into how households of faith across all different generations um, kind of operate and, and, and how we can help each other, encourage each other to be faithful uh, to the mission that God has called us to. Father, thank you so much, Lord God, that we get a chance to even... Uh, reflect you. Thank you that you are a good God and that you are a good model for us. And I pray that as we bring Christ in and the gospel into our home, Lord God, that you would enable us through even our weaknesses, Lord. So we commit ourselves humbly to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so since it is the Generation Series, we thought we'd kick up throughout the, all of these weeks. I think we've got like five weeks. We're going to be doing fun things in each service and as a result our service time might go a little bit longer but it's okay it's just like not too long so I think between uh so we usually aim for 11:45. it might go a little bit longer uh than that but I thought what we would do is we would kick off with a fun quiz and so if you go up to this website on your phone uh, we're going to do a, a generations quiz. So this is like an audience participation quiz, all right? We, um, we wanted to highlight how everybody sees things a little bit differently according to our different generations. So a couple, oh my goodness, see there's one generation that's already on the site and another generation that will need to be talked through. Okay, so uh, basically if you've got one of these cool Apple phones or whatever it is, you can actually just take a zoomed-in photo of that QR code and it will automatically go to the website. But otherwise, you can take your phone um, and, and kids, if you're in the service as well, I mean teenagers, whatever, you can just type in http etc.ch and then IA73. That's the code for today's, um, that's the code for today's uh, online quiz. All right, here we go. And uh, we have actually not even tested this. So I'm going to start the quiz right now. As soon as I start the quiz, this will disappear. So now is your chance to get that, the QR code. But the, 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 the code, the URL at the top will always appear throughout the whole um, quiz. All right? So you can always type it. Just in case you don't know how to use uh, a browser, on your phone, you're going to go to either Safari or Chrome or... Yeah, Safari or Chrome, I guess. Either of those two. And you're going to type at the, the topmost box that those words. Okay, let's get this started. I'm going to start. Okay, what generation are you? Okay, what generation are you? Oh my goodness, see, live answers are... Okay, let's see who's the quickest in on these. All right, basically, if you're born before 1960, 
we want to encourage you to take part in today's survey. So I want to see that, that percentage go up. All right. Before 1960, you're going to etc.ch slash IA73. Okay. But if you're a, a baby boomer, you're born before 1960. If you're Gen X, between 60 and 80. Uh, Gen Y, you're born between 1980 to 1995. I know these are just general kind of things. But then Gen Z, um, you're born after 1995. So both my children would be Gen Z. Okay, good. So you get a sense that here at FGA, it's a reasonable balance of the three uh, of the four generations, okay? We are actually a multi-generational, um, we're a multi-generational church. Uh, I suspect there probably is a little bit more boomers around, but they're in our food thing preparing and they're all, uh, okay, but here we are. About 15% boomers, 30% Gen X, man and I are Gen X. Uh, we got about 35% uh, Gen Y and about 21% um, sitting in Gen Z. Reasonable mix, as I think, as expected. Okay, great. So let's ask the first, so everybody knows how this works, right? If you haven't taken part, that's the URL there up at the top. Okay, we're going to ask our first real question, and it is, LOL is most often used in your life. So I'm, I'm, I'm asking like in your life, okay, not what you think it means, but but um, it's most often used for lots of love, laugh out loud, League of Legends. Come on, guys, you know you use it. Or, as I have just recently been told, at the end of a sentence, hey, I can't come. Lol. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, about, sorry about what I said the other day. Lol. It's like, it's like the Malaysian la, but it's lol. Or like the Filipino po. Thank you, po. Thank you, lol. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so if, 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 that, if you do that, then that's end of sentence for you. Okay. Oh my goodness. Everybody uses laugh out loud. All right. These 2.4% of League of Legends guys, you can come see me after the service. Games night is on Sunday. Okay. All right. So maybe we're all on the same page for laugh out loud, but here we go. I feel like we're an Asian church, so we can do this next question. Your contact with Korean is most often <laughs> Korean. So you're just thinking, in your life, okay, your average week, Korean has most often intersected with your life in barbecue, K-pop, pop, Drama or TV, like you'll be basically crying all week. Or the people from Korea, which is like, I, we have Korean friends. So like, yeah, I know. <laughs> if man was like, I'm going to fill this in. It's people from Korea. She works at a Korean dental clinic. Okay, great. Uh, oh my goodness, see. We are more alike as a church than you would imagine. Because despite all the different generations, it's still food up the top. All right. Um, okay, next question. Food that you would order. So if you could order food that you would, if you could only choose between these four choices. And I had to, I, I was forced to clarify because Nasi Lamak is not the same Nasi Lamak all around the world. This is Clang and Co. Which actually sold out in our pre-order last week, which we keep hearing about because so many people pre-order in advance only one thing from our menu. Oh my goodness, and no wonder. Okay. Actually, this is not a real question. This is the food committee wanting to know what the... Pre <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nasi Lama Clang and Co. for the win. All right. There you go. Pretty good. We had about 221 participants, so thank you so much. About 50% of the uh, church took part in this survey. Thank you for that. Um, uh, I guess what you'll see through this is even though we are pretty diverse um, across the different generations, there are some things that actually all of us have in common, and we have some kind of common understanding. Um, as we go through, 
I think you'll find when you're parenting, we're talking about relational parenting, uh, one of the goals is to find those. Surely there's things that are different, but then there's a lot of things that are the same. And so what we're trying to talk about today in relational parenting is how can we build these relational bridges between the different generations and our, our children in particular in today's parenting session so that the gospel can be translated relationally and not just via rules or go and read your Bible or, or scolding or whatever else it is, all right? Okay, so let's go to the slides. We're going to kick off. Um, okay, did you want to intro ourselves or shall I? Hi, my name is Chris. This is Mayan. All right. A few disclaimers um, about our talk on relational parenting. Um, so basically the way we're going to do it is I'll drive and then Mayan will... I'll flash it. I'll Add on and flesh up. Okay, well. great. And she'll I flesh the things out in detail because uh, otherwise you only get like one side of the equation. And so we're trying to keep it as real uh, as we can. Okay, so there's always risks involved with us sharing, especially in our, in our lives, uh, you know, conning our kids to come up and chair and then us talking about our own family and the like. The fact is that we make mistakes, right? You know that. We know that. I grew up at FGA. You guys have seen me jump off of a base off the stage, right? Um, but... Um, I think what we didn't want to do was allow our fear of mistakes and things like that to prevent us from really uh, talking about things that, that need to be talked about in, in our homes to help everybody out. Also, um, there are some things, as you listen to it, you might think, oh, that's just unique to Pastor Chris and Mayan and their family. Like, it has nothing to do with us, and so I can't take anything out from today. We have deliberately tried to stay in areas. While we will be using specific examples, we've tried to pick areas that are common across our pastoral experience. So within our church, things that we've kind of encountered. And so even though we'll talk about a specific to help you ground it, rest assured we're trying to cover topics that uh, relate to all of us. So, But if we get in the way, if our example gets in the way, just test it. Feel free, because today's a practical day, right? Feel free to go, oh, I've tested it, and this is not correct according to the Bible. Fine. Right? We are, we're going to try and test everything that we say, but I want to encourage you to do that as well, because we're in the practical side. We're not like preaching the, the, the book of Revelation. and the, We're in the practical side to practically live out our faith. And also, I think primarily, even though we're mostly talking about um, what Gen X is uh, mostly going through, which is um, parenting um, and parenting teenagers, um, even though it's most relevant to people who've got teenagers, but it's actually most effective um, to families uh, with younger kids. Because whatever we're going to share is kind of like built upon layer by layer. So if we can actually um, start when your kids are not teenagers, it's actually most, most effective for you, even though it may not be most relevant. And also, if you are a grandparent, if you can grasp the importance of relational parenting, that means you can help your children build relationship with their own children. That is so huge because I tell you, there's probably the majority would be more interested in compliance, the more you want well-behaved grandchildren and the like. But if the grandparent and the parent can work together to build both good relationships with the grandparents and good relationships with the parents, especially if both are in the faith, it's very powerful. It's very powerful because you can both speak into the life of the child in different areas. And then also if you're a young adult and you think, oh my goodness, I don't even need to pay attention at all. Even if you don't have kids, you have parents. And you have parents that I am almost willing to guarantee you, regardless of whatever your history is, they want to have a relationship with you. Even if they right now don't want to have a relationship with you, they will eventually want to have a relationship with you. And so you can listen to today's sermon and think, how do I, as a gospel-transformed Christ follower, live out 
relational parenting life be the light in my own home and be the example from a child's perspective into my whole family, all right? So there's multiple ways to engage with today's uh, session, even though we're just primarily talking about parenting and broadly those teenage years. But man's gonna set up a little bit of the structure and context for us um, just before we begin. So um, uh, very many years ago, we heard this couple uh, pastors shared with us what was really helpful um, to them, um, this framework of parenting. And after hearing that, we found it, wow, it's like, it's so beneficial. And that's what I want to share um, with you today to start with. Um, it's, uh, we call it the four stages of parenting. Am I in the way? No, I'm not. Okay. No, okay. Um, so the zero to five, we call it the discipline years. Um, this is where you know, we teach the kids what is right, what is wrong. Um, and this is the stage where because of our size and position, we can still manhandle the child. If you see a two-year-old continuously Eth ethically going... Ethically manhandle. Hey? Eth ethically. Yeah. No. no. Okay, just you let me... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just go... <laughs> So we see the two-year-old, you know, keep running to the fireplace and, and ignoring your no, you can physically manhandle ethically the child, pick him up and then remove him from danger. Um, so that's a zero to five uh, discipline years. And then five to 12 are the training years. Um, this, it's where, uh, it, it's, this is where it is the why behind the what. Um, lots of dialogues, lots of explaining, connecting their behaviors to the broader world, um, explaining to them, you know, what some of the actions, um, uh, the effects it, the, it, the actions can have to other people around them, the school friends, the other family members. And then from um, 12 to 18, uh, the coaching years. So um, imagine as a coach, you don't get into the field with uh, your, your, your students. You're kind of on the sideline, expecting them to kind of like do what you've already trained them and told them to do, um, but not afraid of every now and then, if necessary, yank them out of the field and help them sort out certain things in their lives. Um, and then 18 on um, is the goal, is the friendship years. So after all the years of doing the hard yard, the training, the disciplining, the coaching, you get to a place where you can really just enjoy being their friends um, and, and having good relationship. Um, this, each season kind of builds on top of the other, like I mentioned. Um, what we see, um, a, a mistake that we often see, is when the kids are young, during the disciplining and the training years, the mistakes that they make don't usually come uh, with high stakes. And then, the, you know, when, when little kids make mistakes, the parents are like, oh, it's so cute, they're so cheeky, and, you know, and they're like, oh, okay, okay, and then they don't really... Um, correct or discipline, and then when they, they become teenagers and their disobedience then have higher stakes, it's more serious, and then the parents feel like, oh no, now I need to really clamp on strong, I need to discipline, I need to train, but really that season is more for slowly releasing and letting go and not clamping, clamping down hard. There was, that ought to be done at the early part of the year. So having this framework actually helps us, for, for me anyway, it navigates... Um, where we are at in our parenting and respond and, uh, appropriately. Yeah, so we actually, the reason why we're sharing this is because we actually used this while we were, so it's just not like untested, right? Because I think uh, man is right. We see so often parents of zero to five-year-olds, their life revolves around the kid. So it's not supposed to be like that. The kid's life is supposed to revolve around you. I love Uncle YC and Auntie Annie, actually. Um, can somebody remind me to make an announcement about Uncle YC and Auntie Annie? Okay. Um, but I love Uncle YC and Auntie Annie. Uh, while I was growing up at FJ, they would bring their young, you know, Avio, Adora, Azio, would show up at all of our home group meetings, our, our Christian education, before they were even pastors, um, when they uh, first visited, when we got to know them even. Uh, because the early years was about setting the tone for the family. There would be a family that served. And then uh, you might look at these as well and go, oh my goodness, the ages are really young. I'm only going to start coaching my kids at 18. That's when they, I feel like, that's when they can kind of gather a handle on life. And so until they're 18, I'm going to like just make every decision for them and watch it really closely. I want to put it to you that that's a little bit too late because at 18, especially here in Australia, 
They're just going to live their life. And so you may not even be invited to coach if you're going to wait till then to coach. So we want to encourage you to maybe uh, buckle down in the discipline and training on the earlier years and then but specifically today, we're talking about these coaching years, right? But um, I guess the training and the coaching years together, it's about setting up ready for that end game. The, the stage that never ends is the friendship stage. That's the stage, actually, now that we've got a 20-year-old. and we're, The stage that never ends is that, is that friendship stage. If your entire relationship with a, with a child is based on these other years, the season's just going to change on you. So we're hoping that you'll build up ready for those friendship years is the goal of our uh, chat. So let me tell you a story. <laughs> a so true story. It's not true. Okay. It's 10, so just imagine it with me. It's 10.30 p.m. on a Thursday night. <sighs> Work's done. Everything's all settled. Kids are like, supposed to be in bed. And then you hear, Mom, Dad, can I ask you a question? I'm like, oh, okay, sure. What do you want? Like another glass of water? You're okay. So you walk in and you go, uh, my project is due tomorrow. I'm like, oh. What project is this? That did you, the one that you told me six months ago? Yeah. And so then, imagine if you will, I'm sure as parents you've never seen this before, right? Then you go, because they're very good at keeping the stakes very low. Well, it's not that big a project. Oh, okay, that's fine. It's just my major assignment. Okay, what, what do you need? What do you need for your project tomorrow? And so then they begin really easy, very easy. I need some paper. Not that, we've got paper. We can do it. Um, some markers. Done. Do you have sticky tape? Yep. Okay, so I'm thinking we've got most of these things and it's 10.30, it's a bit late, but maybe we can hack this together, you know? Like we'll just, just wing it. And then, and then, and then the soft voice gets even softer. And I need 6% hydrogen peroxide. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> that one. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. How do you get... And then, and then I'm, I'm on the website. I'm Googling. I'm Googling, you know. They only sell it at 2% or 3% or whatever. You can't get 6% because it's like restricted. And anyway... It's 10.30 p.m. at night. Where are you going to even get it? Like you're checking out 24-hour chemists, right? And so in that moment, you say to your kid, because you've been pretty cool right up until then. Like God's grace has like covered it all until that moment. <laughs> and then you go, oh my goodness. Why did you wait to the last minute to tell me about a project that you have tomorrow morning? We can't even do any of what were you thinking? You know, if it were me, I would be so organized. It would go into my David Allen GTD system. You know, that's why I paid for Todoist Premium for you so that you could task orient all these things. What are you thinking? Right? Maybe something along those lines <laughs> is what goes on in these parenting moments. Basically, what happens in those types of conversations is some kind of version of you will never be as righteous or as good as I am. You are not hitting the mark of what I expect as a parent. That's what the child is feeling. That's what the yeah. child is feeling, right? Or how I would have even done it. What do you think? So if we could, we're relating today, okay? What do you think your kid is thinking right at that moment? I'm so glad these people are my parents. 
They're so wise, so wise. Oh, and loving. I, I wish I had more of these conversations that when I'm in trouble and I've just realized something that I'm really worried about, I could come to them and have these conversations. I don't think that is what's going on in your kid's mind. What is wrong with this conversation? Because I think we have to talk about the elephant in the room, right? What is wrong with this conversation is that it lacks the gospel. It lacks the good news. Gospel means good news. It lacks the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the thing that at that moment, as parents, that we are not recognizing is that we are more like our kids than unlike them. Whose kids are they? They're our, yeah, mother's kids. <laughs> They're our kids. They're our kids. So, so what, let's, let's just break it down, okay? So, what is the root of this example? For this example that I've given, what is the root of it? Procrastination, right? Procrastination. So you as a parent, you have to sit there and you have to think while you're lecturing your kid, right? You have to think, do I have procrastination in my life? Are there things that I'm supposed to fix in the house that my wife has told me about a hundred times that I've said, yeah, I'll do that. Or are the tax returns that have just passed, right? Are there things that I have left to the last minute so that I'm late for church, late for this, missed out on, oh my goodness. If you would ask that question about procrastination and you're very, very honest, you would go, you know what? I have had that issue. In fact, there is almost nothing, almost nothing in your kid's life as they grow up that you don't have in your own life as some kind of artifact. Artifact meaning it once existed in your life, maybe when you were younger or whatever it is, and now you have some kind of remnant of it. Because they're actually more like you than unlike you. So when you have that conversation, go, oh, you're, I've never, maybe they, yeah, maybe they can't pull off exactly the things that you can pull off right now. But like, you're 45, you're whatever the age is. They are 12, 10, 11. And so in those conversations, do we want to go, it's you versus me? Or do we recognize the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which basically says, we're all in that category. We're all in need of saving. We're all in need of a savior. And God who is our father, our relational father, is God over all of us. And I'm so sorry, but we're not getting hydrogen peroxide and you're going to have to deal with the consequences. But we're going to unpack that today. All right? So we're not... Um, yeah, so I think there is a way to sort of approach parenting that helps you have a good relationship with your children. Um, and that's the main, I think that's the main reason. So let's take a little bit of time and make the case for relational parenting. Just in case you think, who wants relationship with children? As long as they pull in the A's and they marry a doctor, we're all fine. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> let me just, we're going to take five minutes in case you need persuading about why it is. All right, one is theologically, we model our parenting from God's parenting. Is God a relational parent? Does John 3.16 not say, for God so loved us that he gave his only son? Do we not see in God's parenting model, that means when he addresses his son, on earth, before he's done any miracles, before he's done anything at all, right? When he, he goes, this is my son who is well loved, who I love. How is God's model for parenting? And I think you'll find theologically, it lands as a relational parent. God did not save all of us, interact with us with a sign in the sky. Hebrews says, he lived amongst us and knew our own pain. Uh, also, as I mentioned before, that friendship, relationship is the only stage that doesn't end. You know, there was an article that came out in the newspaper. Um, 
last week, actually, they talked about um, these uh, psycho- millennial psychologists was interviewing a bunch of 90-year-olds. And uh, one of the top regrets of 90-year-olds, 90-year-olds, was, I wish I was closer with my children. So let me tell you, relating to your children is a stage that never ends. But disciplining them, there's going to come a time where they're not going to be scared of you. There's going to come, no, really, like, you know, you threaten them. When I take away your iPod, they just buy their own whatever thing, right? Like, so, um, this is the stage that doesn't end. And also, I think um, when I was sharing mm-hmm. the, um, oh, another, another reason I feel that we have to um, push for relational parenting is that, you know, the stages that we uh, initially shared in the beginning, um, some of you, when I'm sharing it, you might go, oh, you know what, I wish I had known that earlier, but it's now, it's past, and my kid is now 16 or, or 18, but I haven't built that foundation. Um, but with relational parenting, it's never too late. It's never too late. So if you have not done all those and you feel that you know, your relationship with your, your older children now is not where you had wished it, it, it is, um, uh, with relational parenting, that you can begin to take that there. You can begin to change the, uh, that trajectory to where you would like for it to be in the future. Yeah, that's right. Because it's such a long stage. Whereas your season of changing zero to five, that comes and goes. It really does. And also, um, one of the key reasons for why we want to really parent is to be able to influence them. And then um, nothing can influence another person better than having good relationships. So there will come a time where um, they have to make key decisions in life. And also at a time where all our uh, discipline and training and making decisions for them no longer work. And we have to rely on relationship to be able to influence them. Yep. So just to spell that out a little bit more, it's so that your kids want to spend time with you and want to actually delve into your life and the, the wisdom that's in there and all these types of things, all right? Not forced to or bribed mm. to. Okay. Right. Um, the last one, uh, point on this is actually a very theoretical one. Uh, Vern Bankston did a longitudinal study on uh, religion. That means that across multiple generations, he looked at how faith was passed on and why it didn't pass on. In, and he did it across multi-faiths, actually, but primarily focused on, on you know, Western Christianity. And do you know that what his one summary line is in his uh, abstract, which I always read first as I read fast. Um, His one line was, fervent faith does not replace distant parenting. Fervent faith. That means you could be a very conscientious Christian. You could come to every prayer meeting, come to church. You could be a model Christian, but you're distant from your children and your children will go, I want nothing to do with that. I don't know that. I don't, I don't even like that. I don't even get along with that. And so what he's found in a scientific study was that that is, one, that is the greatest indicator. So you might not even know how to quote Bible verses left and right, read in Greek and Hebrew, but it's a warm environment at home. Your children really like you. They, they get along with you. They relate and you love God. They are more likely to grow up also loving God. And then they're smart. They'll grow up and they'll figure out the Bible. They'll go Christian education classes. They'll, they'll do those other things. But this relational element is so key about keeping your house as a household of faith. Because unless you're talking about children that are zero to five or whatever it is, the you have to come to church only lasts for so long. And Okay. So, three things that we're going to be talking about today. One, relating equals same side, okay? So, when you relate to someone, I know it might seem really obvious, but when you relate to somebody, you're on the same side as them. That means you're getting to know their side. You're getting to, when you relate to somebody, which is why we're taking the time to relate to each different generation this 
particular month, right, is you're making the journey from your side to their side. You're recognizing, hey, we're all sinners. We are all, I've, I've done the same kinds of things that you have done. And I'm still doing the same kinds of things. We're all still broken in some way. In fact, one of the things that man uh, always keeps saying to me is that greater understanding helps to resolve conflict um, and disagreement, right? Greater understanding. If you could actually understand what's going on in your life, the context for your life, you'll actually be able to navigate conflict better in your home. You'll actually be able to have the difficult conversations easier, you'll actually be able to navigate through these tough teenage years if you at least knew what their world was like. Now, practically, what does that mean? Practically, that means some of their interests need to be your interests, right? Like, you have to actually, I, I, I remember just uh, when our kids were little, memorizing Pokemon, memorizing Pokemon names, right? Because they were so interested in that and they were constantly talking about, I didn't know Pokemon names and so I just had to learn Pokemon names or you had to go and learn, um, um, I don't know, fencing things and, and whatever else or it is. Slime ingredients. Slime, slime, slime ingredients, which doesn't require hydrogen peroxide, by the way. Yes, that's right. Or their music. BTS, behind the scenes. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> that was going to be one of that was going to be one of my questions. Actually, what is BTS? But anyway, um, yeah, you know, or interested in their music even, and that means suspending a lot of the judgment that might initially come up, so that you can win that end game. All right. Um, we also um, use a lot of. Um, external tools. Um, Gracie, when she was young, she always does this thing where she's going to show me something and she goes, Mom, Dad, watch and learn. Um, <laughs> um, so to, to expand on that, like now like we would read and learn um, and we would then, um, after reading and learn, we now listen and learn. Um, we use a lot of external um, resources like um, the, the, the personality typing and all sorts of stuff so that we can understand or even just read about it to have some sort of like guidance to understand um, what they are like, what their innate uh, weaknesses and strengths are like. So just understanding their innate weaknesses helps me to be more accepting and loving when they show their innate weaknesses like in the house. Like if, if uh, one of them is... One of the natural weaknesses is always forgetful and messy, and and, and I and another one is less so. Um, but instead of expecting the two of them to 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 adhere to a certain standard, I understand that for one of them it's harder because that is that innate um, uh, weakness. So then it makes me more to, it makes me more understanding when I was dealing with one of them. <laughs> Code. Okay, yeah, because, so whatever tools, whatever it is, so we, we like to use personality tools, we, um, I've got models, uh, you know, conflict management style, all these different types of things going on, but you don't actually even need to do that. You just need to have a good sense of what your kid is like as a person, right? Because here's, here's the big point, your kids are people too. Your kids are people too. And I know when they're age four, five, six, uh, you're off, you're doing your own thing and you're just, you don't really know them as friends. They eventually become full-grown people. How and do you, you get a good sense of knowing what they're like? That's right. So how, how you do that is you have to actually be a student of your children. You have to be a student of your, just like as a husband, I have to be a student of my wife, right? Like, as a dad, I have to be a student of my children. They're each different. They're not all the same. Just because one can pull it off doesn't mean the other one can pull it off. You have to get to know each. Like I know it sounds like I'm saying very, very basic things, but you'd be surprised how many of us parent by rules of thumb. They're great 
until they come up against the specifics and you discover your children are not an algorithm. They are real people. Also, when we relate to our kids, we have our own internal bias. We have certain ways of looking at things and certain um, uh, filters. And then when they don't fit in that image, we go, oh, you know what? That's, something is wrong with you because it doesn't fit into a certain mold or certain biases that we have. And then, and then we feel like we are the normal one and you're not and you need to change to, to, to become this. Um, but from you know, listening and, and learning and reading and learning, we, now we know that you know, there's actually so many types of normal. What is normal to us is not normal to them. What is normal to them is, may not be normal to us, um, but it is normal. So then that helps create a greater understanding. Okay, good. And then um, before we move on to the next part, which is the... Um, I wanted to sort of say uh, that in this relating equal same side, it's actually very useful to... Um, I wrote, create an environment for common ground. Uh, what I mean by that is that you are doing things like family holidays together, family practices together, you're, or you're, you're picking a common language uh, of things that you all like doing. You're sowing the seeds for an environment that has commonality even at a young age. So that's even if it's inconvenient for you as a parent, you're thinking, I'm sowing seeds for the future so that we will have things to relate in too. So maybe uh, you, as parents, you can do ministry things together with your kids. You can go on trips together with your kids. You can have date nights with your kids. You can have a, an area of interest, a hobby together. Like I, I, a lot of Asian parents don't have hobbies. That's fine for you. But a hobby is a great thing to share with your children. So both of you could start a new hobby together and pursue it, right? So those... Creating an environment for commonality. Okay, but I, I know what everybody is thinking right now. Oh my goodness. Is this just like party parenting? Okay, are we just like, is relational parenting basically, while these guys are still kids, we're going to be your best friend and anything's fine. Like, hair's hey, fine. Whatever, you're fine. Because the second point is that actually relating is not enabling. And so we want to talk about the other side of that coin now. Okay? Because while the main thrust and that goal is to develop relationships, actually, real deep relationships, the kind that you're shooting for, are robust. A real relationship can handle difficult conversations, tough conversations. Like, I, I, I grew up fully understanding that there will be times my mom and my dad would be upset with me, including last week. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's fine. Because if you have a very good relationship, it should survive that. And so what you're building in your relationship development in your children is not the, oh, i got to make sure they like me. i got to make sure they like me. No, what you're trying to build is, I got to make sure our relationship is strong enough for our future together. Part of that involves you understanding them, getting to know them, them getting to know you and the like, but it's not just that. Things like consequences build resilience. I think we have found in our home. So Rachel lost the keys. She was going to be out $160. Or thankfully, you just need to chair the service. So good. You know, uh, or, um, or our kid just does not get the required ingredient for the project tomorrow and they get a poor grade. One of our kids has gotten zero from an assignment. That she forgot about she, you can't say she. <laughs> okay, phew. Yeah. Because while the stakes are lower, it's better that the children face a consequence and then you're on the same side with them. You're also grieving with them about the consequences, but they were not your, you didn't cause the, the, the problem. You're with them as you face the consequences together, instead of what they call, there's a newer term to helicopter parenting. 
It's called snowplow parenting, which is you're like, when we were in Chicago, right? You plow the ground ahead of your kid. So then it's very easy. They just walk through. All the tough things are all done. And then they, they'll, they grow up with this mentality that you are the snowplow. You are supposed to deal with all those obstacles. And then they don't have that sufficient enough resilience in life to deal with the hard knocks. Or when those hard knocks come, they're not having that conversation with you. Because their memory of the chats with you are like my first story. What you want to build up is more and more and more examples of even tough relational conversations with your children. And, and bonding over mutual suffering is great. It's one of those ways you can like, I'm so sorry you're flunking. And no. uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> We yep. try to parents towards relationship, but we also try to parents towards resilience. And one of the um, uh, things that we encourage our kids to do is to take risk. Um, from our pastoral um, experience, and some of the stories we hear is that um, we hear parents say that, oh, no, no, I don't want my kids to try this because um, they'll, fa they, they'll fail and then they will feel really disappointed. And, and you know, we, we rather them not go through emotions like that and then they would you know, steer them to um, things that they would definitely do well in. Um, and but I think if you, if you create the safe environment where it's okay to fail in your home mm. and then you encourage your kids to take risks at a, at a younger age and appropriate, right? Appropriate risks. Then you're actually building in them the ability to cope and you are right there beside them as the coach, to process a lot of those feelings. Yeah. If you miss out on those types of life moments with your children, they are going to do those life moments solo in the real world when they're grown up with worse processing partners than yourselves. Yeah. So don't remove all the risk in there. Um, you know, um, there, there's one thing I wanted to sort of say. Did you want to talk about growth mindset a little bit or... I'm going to finish this section off and go to the next one. Angela Duckworth wrote a great book called Grit. Um, but one, one of the things that we've been trying to um, develop in our home is, uh, so a fixed mindset is, I'm bad at this. Oh, I'm good at this. It's fixed. You've, you've formed a view about whether you're good at maths, you're good at piano, or whatever it is. It's fixed. Right? Whatever reason, from your experience, whatever it is, um, you uh, form that view and you keep that. It's fixed in your head. The reality of it is that everybody starts bad at piano. Everybody starts bad at maths. That's just even the best chess players start bad at chess. So a growth mindset goes, hey, I'm bad now at this. I'm not going to lie. I'm really bad at this. But that's just now. I can grow. I'm only seven. I'm only 10. I'm only 13. I'm only 24. I can grow. If I change my behavior, if I change my response, if I do things differently, view it differently, over time, I'm going to get different results. And so part of um, relating but not enabling is that you're trying to sow in this growth type mindset into your home where you're encouraging effort in with your kids. Effort, you take risks, don't worry about the results. What kind of results is a seven-year-old going to do in an art project anyway? Let's just make it better than the last one. Let's just get, do the best as unto the Lord. And then, and then you just take it step by step by step. We all had seasons. Like I blitzed through my university. I did really, really well in my studies. Um, but I was a very average student in primary school. Very average student in primary school. And I chat with a lot of primary school parents, parents of primary schoolers, who are like, oh, my year six exam is like the most crucial. He's not doing really. I did terrible, but I went to uni at 15. Like, what you are at year six is not what you are your whole life. And your kids need to know that. They need to understand that in in, in the home. And one key way to actually encourage um, growth mindset is how you praise them. So instead of praising um, their talent 
or the results, you praise the effort um, and the hard work. Because when you praise their talent, so you, they believe that innately they are, good, they are talented in it, and then they only want to try the things that they are good at. And then when they try something that they're not good at, they will, find, they will feel that, oh, you know, I'm not very good at that, so I shouldn't try that. And then they will tend to then give up before you know, they even give it a good go. So, but if you praise their effort, you're going, you know what, great job, you know, keep, keep, keep going. Um, and then you see that they're more willing because it's, to them, it's, it's, the stake is lower. It's not that if they don't do well, then they are not talented or they are stupid, but they just haven't tried enough or they haven't, um, you know, given enough time. So then they're more willing then to know that it's achievable and then they would do more. Yeah. So this resilient parenting or robust relating, right, is actually very hard work. So we're talking about this is the hard work section of parenting. And I, I actually like what Bill Gates says about this. I recently read an amazing book by Melinda uh, called The Moment of Lift. And, and there's a great quote in there. Um, they're talking about time cops. It's an American term, right? But, but, you know, put up your hand if you're the time cop in your home. That means you're the one who says... Now is the time to go to bed. Now is the time we have to leave. Hey, please get ready for school, right? And in their home, like a lot of, uh, I guess, Asian homes, Melinda Gates was the time cop in the home, right? And um, somebody asked Bill Gates about this question, about who keeps time in their home. And even though Melinda ends up doing it most of the time, she ended up quoting her husband's quote in her own book because she loved his response to it and she saw that it was true in her life, even though the volume, because she, she was at home, she did the volume of it, right? And this is what he said. We never want to have something where one of us is cast in the carefree role and the other one is in the bothersome role. It's a mutual challenge. So what that means is, that, and, and we've certainly found that in our home, that you never want, as you're parenting together your children, you never want to go, oh, I'm not even going to think about dealing with this boyfriend problem at all. I will take the carefree role. You, your daughter, your son, you deal with the, and then you take the bothersome role because that entire category is outsourced to you. You handle home affairs, I'll handle party affairs, and then we're all good. Rather, if you view, because this robust parenting, the, this robust, it's actually really, really hard work. And I want to put it to you, it's a mutual challenge for both husbands and dads. And sure, it might mean if a mom is at home more often, she may implement more, but you then have to step up. In, as a dad in these areas because it's a, it's a mutual challenge. It means you're also brainstorming how to solve it. You're also throwing resources in. You're also taking time to relate uh, in many of these ways. Okay, great. So let's go to the third one and we can finish off with that, which I think is the, the real big key for today. I'm hoping if you take anything out, um, you know, the Bible has one word which I love about how we're supposed to relate um, at home, but also with the whole of community. So as for me and my house and everywhere. It is that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. That means we need to be the representation and the, the, uh, the relator for Christ in our home. How else are we going to have godly homes of people who themselves choose to follow Christ? is that we see our role in parenting not as the A student producer, but as the ambassador, the champion for Christ in our home. And that shifts actually how you would view, that shifted how we have viewed parenting. That we would, we would parent in a way that we would go, hey, are my children seeing a glimpse of heaven? Because I'm sure there's consequences for sin and consequences for behavior. Yes, but there's also overwhelming grace and love that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. What, what helps us in our parenting is we think, oh, what would Christianity be? 
What would Christianity be if there was no relationship with God? If there was none. If Jesus didn't come to earth, die for our sins. If he didn't show me love day by day in my deepest troubles and struggles, I could not say, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, you are with me. What would Christianity be if I didn't have that, that relating part? I'll tell you what it would be. It would just be rules. It would just be a whole bunch of just religion. And Why do you think most of Australia who doesn't have a relationship with God hates Christianity? Because the minute you take out relating from Christianity, for God so loved the world, relational language, love God, love others, the minute you take away relating from Christianity, it's a dead religion. The minute you take away relating from parenting, it's a dead relation, it's a dead family. It's a family that's just functional. And you have to ask yourself, is that what you want? So what you're trying to do is you're trying to say, hey, how do I relate to my kids like God relates to me? And I don't know if maybe in your head, you think God is this big judging God who continually lectures you all the time. I guarantee you he's not that. Sure, he will allow you to go through God does this resilient parenting stuff. So you'll see all these verses in the Bible that talk about uh, tribulation and trials that produce character and all these types of... Brilliant. They're all good. God could. If God wanted to snowplow parent, He could. But why is it that we all face troubles in life? Part of it is because there is Christ-likeness that needs to be formed in us. There is character that needs to be built and developed in us, just as it is in our kids. So it's these two sides of investing in uh, relating to our kids, getting to know them as people, having opportunities to engage with them, but at the same time, allowing and creating space for risk and, and, and problems that come up and um, consequences to kick in that you can all uh, grapple with together as a family instead of saying, these problems... You've brought it on yourself. Tough luck for you. No, we're all, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. We can grieve together, right? Um, so uh, we wanted to sort of, and I, I like actually um, Andy Stanley, uh, his goal when he talks about uh, relational parenting. Um, we, we quite like it. Uh, it's, not, it's not the Bible, so... Take it for whatever it's worth, right? But he said, he, he put in his walk-in wardrobe one line um, that his goal in parenting is to raise children that would freely choose to spend time with them even when they don't have to. That was his goal. I, I understand why he's got that as a goal. Because him and his wife believe that they are good godly influences. They believe that they're actually very capable of um, representing Christ to their children. So they would hope that when their children are older, that they would choose to dialogue, engage with, continue to invite in for influence and invite. They would continue to have that say into the whole family. Right? So... Having relationship even as a number one goal, that's not too bad a thing, is what I'm trying to say. It's not too bad a thing to go, I'm parenting in such a way that when my children can choose by themselves, they're going to pick to also stay in the same church that your, your mom and dad founded. They're going to choose. Like, I'm not saying like this is the gospel. It's fine if children are in different churches. Like, please don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not... I'm just saying that it, if you have that as a goal, it shifts how you parent. A little bit like how Jesus or God would do his parenting. God the Father has not compelled any of us to call him Father. Even though he actually is the Father. He has invited us into a relationship with him where we ourselves, in our own volition, in our own creativity, in our own wisdom even, 
have elected to call him father. And that then represents the kind of genuine, authentic love um, that is like Christ. So I want to end, actually, did you want to say anything before I wrap everything up? We're good? Yep. Um, Because I'm a dad, I want to do a particular um, heads up for dads. Uh, we've got a men's camp coming up in October, I think, uh, for, the, for the younger men. Uh, if you look at Bengston's study, this uh, intergenerational study, he actually placed more emphasis on men and dads. Um, not that moms are not important, but dads are a very influencing factor in whether your children even want to follow their dad's faith. Um, this passage is set in Ephesians, in the relational category of that letter. It begins with submit yourselves one to another. And then it talks about husbands and wives, children. It talks about uh, 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 servants and the things like that, right? But then it has this passage in there, the only sort of parenting passage in the New Testament, actually. One of them is this. And it goes, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, which breaks relationship, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When you read discipline and instruction of the Lord, please don't just hear punishment. Discipline, sure, may include consequences and punishment. Some of the consequences you dish out. Another one of our kids, you know, just got fined $90 for stuff. Right? Yeah. What do you mean? $90. Oh, yes. (laughs) All all the allowance. All the allowance, exactly, right? Um, So certainly there are times for consequences, you know, and and, and punishment. But, But discipline and instruction is not just that. Discipline is going in the way you should go. That means it is also the norms of the life, right? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Here is something that um, happens a lot. We see it often. I've read books where it talks about it, so I know it's a thing. When you're a dad and your children are little and you are young, most conversations that I have with dads revolve around their career, their ambitions, and the things they want to do. Most, very few conversations involve their three-year-old and what their three-year-old's personality is like and the seven-year-old and what the seven-year-old wants to do in life. and very, very little, just in general. So then what happens is, if you are an amazing career-driven, action-oriented guy who so happens to be a parent, you're going, you're trying to progress in your career, go, 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 and your family's kind of going okay. Then you get to the stage where your kids are 14, 15, 16, 17, maybe 13, whatever it is, right? And suddenly it's chaos at home. Chaos. And you're like, oh, oh, I think it's time to tap in. I think now, anyway, my wife keeps telling me I got to pay attention. So now is the time to come in. And so then you come in with no relational base at all. You don't know what games your kids play. You don't know what they watch on YouTube. You haven't read the last book that they have read. You don't even know what their hobbies are. You don't like their hobbies even. And so you come in heavy-handed. Maybe 15 years too late, 10 years too late, and you overcompensate in one of many, many ways. Either you over-discipline or you over-spoil, depending. But you don't have that relationship to gauge well. You don't know your kids well enough to even know what is the wise thing to do in that situation. So I want to end uh, with a special I guess, word for the dads, because I'm a dad. I grew up as a dad, um, young. Like, I was a young dad, didn't know what to do. And a generation ahead of me coached me in this church. So I'm now passing on the favor to you guys. Your career is great, but it'll be not as good as a family who loves you. So you want to think about how much that is worth. And you're calculating 
what best ways to spend your time and what to do with the money you have and the talent and the skills you have. Can right. I just add that one practical way that we have done um, to encourage that? Because I really appreciated his input um, in our parenting, in our joint parenting. And when the kids were young, we have decided um, that we're going to have dinner together as a family um, as often as we can. So what we've decided, we know it may not work for every family, but we have decided to let our kids sleep a little bit later than um, the standard um, Australian families. Um, our kids <laughs> from very young sleep much later than you know, the seven o'clock or eight o'clock um, because we would usually wait for Chris to come home to have dinner together. We find that small deposits over a long period of time is actually very, very important and effective. Um, it, quality time with kids anyway, it's, we find it's a little bit of a myth. You need a massive amount, big quantity of quality time and just that little deposit. So we made um, a conscious choice to sacrifice early sleeping um, so that we can have dinner together as a family as often as we can, just the, the small deposits over a long period of time. Great. But there are other ways also to, to do it. Okay, great. So we will end it, we'll end it with this. But um, I want to take some time, actually, if I could, to just pray for all of us. Um, just um, as I quoted uh, Bill Gates earlier, I, I think I have the same kind of view, that parenting is a joint thing for all of us, mm. all of us as a, as a household of faith, even. So we've got people in our church that are volunteering to serve in high school or in kids' ministry. They're just trying to sow into your children's lives. They're actually they're trying to do it through relationship. So we're all, I feel like we're all kind of in this together. So let's all, if we're all uh, eyes bowed, we're going to pray for all of us as a broad household of faith, that we would pass on the faith to another generation relationally. Not in a book of rules, but that they would know, they would taste and see through our lives that God is good. All right? Father, uh, we thank you for today, uh, for the opportunity that we have even to speak into homes and families. I pray, Lord God, that you would transform the culture of our homes, that we would, as parents, take more active steps in relationship building with our children, just as you have taken steps in relationship building with us. I pray for this church, Lord, that we would be a relational church, that we would be able to, even with these babies that have just been uh, dedicated, Lord God, that they would grow up in homes where they would know their mom and dad and they would know that their mom and dad loves God and they would be drawn by that in a, in a beautiful relational way. We commit all of this to Jan. We, we pray for the challenges in parenting, Lord. I pray for every parent right now who's struggling with a kid. Help us to see that this is not the end picture. Help us to see with your eyes that looked at us while we were wayward and still loved us. Help us as a church, Lord. We commit all of this into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh yeah, YC. <laughs> YC and Fungus Camp. Okay, great, great. Okay, so Uncle YC sent me a message just today actually. Uh, him and Auntie Annie are doing well. Um, and they are open for visitation. So if you would like to visit them, um, the best times are between 2.30